InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. For decades, the USA was number one in the world when it came to manufacturing. Now we've fallen to 10th place. How can we get back on top? And why is it so important for our nation's future? InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco has the story. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now is Rachel Slade, author of Making It in America, The Almost Impossible Quest to Manufacture in the USA and How It Got That Way. She earned numerous literary awards for her previous works, including one that was adapted for a Harvard Business School case study. Ms. Slade, you report the U.S. is now the 10th largest manufacturing economy in the world, and we used to be number one. Many people probably shrug and say, well, that's just how things are in a global economy. But does it have to be that way? It does not have to be that way. And that is why I wrote this book. I wanted to explore how we could revive manufacturing and what does that actually look like when we revive manufacturing. But most importantly, the question is, why is it so important? And that is something that I hope my readers will dig into. There are so many compelling reasons why we should be manufacturing right here in the United States. And yet, let's talk about that. You say the U.S. is now the third largest exporter of oil behind Saudi Arabia and Russia. How would exporting a greater variety of products and not just raw materials help the U.S.? Well, I mean, before we even talk about exporting, I think we need to talk about stemming the importation tide. That's part of what I'm really talking about. Why don't we start making things for ourselves? Part of the reason I really think that this is important is because then we'll have a lot more negotiating power and uncompromised power on the international stage because we will be more independent. And that is exactly what George Washington and Alexander Hamilton set about to do, getting Americans manufacturing the goods that they needed so that we could be truly independent. That's what I am advocating for. And of course, that takes workers. So let's start with them. To quote you, no doubt the great resignation was fueled by anger and resentment against poorly managed companies where Americans felt exploited, underpaid, overworked, and dog-tired, unquote. Has any of that started to reverse with the revival of unions? It's absolutely fascinating to watch. Absolutely. I am Gen X, and I'm noticing that the younger generation is very concerned about work-life balance, and they're finding answers in organizing. They are banding together, and they're asking for not necessarily more pay. They are asking for other things, like very much a four-day work week is something on everybody's mind, especially now that we've seen what that looks like in the pandemic, having a little more time to be able to do the kinds of things that you just need to get done during the week and not on the weekend. So it's really been amazing to watch this post-pandemic push from workers in all sectors just for more work-life balance and more dignity and more respect. Your book profiles a couple who started a company making sweatshirts called American Roots. They gave employees health care, vacation time, paid sick leave, and made sure they joined a union. Briefly, how did they provide so many employee benefits and still stay afloat? Well, the answer is that they're working really hard to make it work. 
but they are also making an extremely high quality product, the kind of product that you wouldn't find imported into America. So this is an American made, American sourced, union sourced hoodie. And it's a real like tool. It's a working person's tool. It's unlike anything else on the market. And it does come with a price. But on the other hand, it is not a fashion garment. And so comparing the prices between some kind of flimsy thing that was imported from another country and the American Roots hoodie is kind of like comparing a steak to, hmm, Scrapple? <laughs> Sorry, that's a rather regional reference. And so it's a quality issue? Absolutely. There is quality at stake here. And You know, we've heard, I think Americans are really dog-tired also of fast fashion, of buying things that fall apart really fast. My husband learned that the hard way. He was buying pants online, and within really six months, they were falling apart. Now he's much more tuned, and I think we all are, to buying better, buying smarter, buying to last. It's better for us, it's better for our economy, and it's better for the environment. We're visiting with Rachel Slade, author of Making It in America, The Almost Impossible Quest to Manufacture in the USA and How It Got That Way. You've been quoted as saying that we can solve many problems by being inventive in how we produce goods. How so? We have always been inventive. It's kind of funny to think that MIT, I'm from Boston, so MIT was actually created by people who made things. They were the innovators of their day. They were the industrialists. And so there are so many people right now in America who are really looking at robotics and AI and how that can help with manufacturing and logistics. And a lot of that technology is actually just being exported straight to other countries who are manufacturing powerhouses at the moment. This is the technology that we need here so that we can start to innovate further. So the idea is if you make things then you can innovate how you make things. If you have the designers and the programmers right next to the makers, they can inform each other. What I'm looking for, what we're all looking for, what we're all hoping for is this incredible cross-pollination of ideas, people, makers, tech people, and financers. That's what's going to help revive manufacturing in America. Now, I'd like you to speak to the people who are afraid of AI, that is artificial intelligence. Is AI a threat to people's jobs? Jobs are going to change. And that's why we need to jump on this right now. That's why we really need to get people focusing on producing, creating, innovating in a very tangible way, manufacturing because that's where the future is. And AI is only there to help us. There are instances I can imagine where AI could be very frightening. I mean, especially if you're talking about on social media, the deep fakes. But generally speaking, AI is a tool like any other tool. And if it helps us build better, build smarter, manage better, and get things to your house you know, in a timely fashion, then it's doing its job. That's what it was designed to do. It's designed to be a tool. Now we just need to figure out how to harness it. So let's talk about what government can do. What about government assistance for technical training? And do we need a return to trade schools? Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, here's the thing. I work with a lot of young people who are really interested in working in robotics. 
They spend a lot of time playing video games or even inventing their own games and their own apps. I mean, there are a lot of very innovative, creative people who are native digital learners, and they just haven't made the leap yet to turning all that ingenuity and know-how toward manufacturing. So that's one group. The other group are people who maybe just don't want to sit behind a desk or don't want to go through four years of college or can't afford to. And so if we start talking about like all of the skills required to develop manufacturing know-how starting in high school, we're going to have a workforce ready to take on these challenges. Now, you call for incentives in manufacturing and You make the point that American companies don't often mentor the next generation of managers and that poor management can lead employees to leaving. Expand on that. I think in all sectors of the economy right now, we have this division, this class division in many cases where you have the manager class, they were trained strictly as managers, and then you have the worker class that's forever relegated to being in that class. And what's beautiful about a lot of manufacturing models is that they're taught from the ground up. So you come in with some skills and you learn every aspect of the trade. And if you prove to be effective within that sector, you can rise up the ladder. Traditionally, that is the model of manufacturing is that you have people who are coming in who maybe don't have a lot of education, but they get their hands into every aspect of this incredible thing, which is producing a good, so that by the time they are managers, they really know what workers need. They're in tune to that. I think balancing that also is revitalizing unions, making sure that people who are working who traditionally don't have power can get together and have a voice, sit at the table, even sit on a board, have a union representative sit at a board, which is the German model, so that decisions at the top are made not just for shareholders, but also for stakeholders. And when I say stakeholders, I mean the workers. I mean the community in which the factory resides. I mean the people who are actually buying the products. Are they getting good products? These are the kinds of new ways of thinking. They're actually old ways of thinking that we are trying to revive. Rachel Slade, author of Making It in America, Thank you so much for joining us today and detailing your book. It was a pleasure, Gina. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. Next, do treatment options for diabetes need to be updated? That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 